MacCast, Sunday, June 26th, 2022. Hey, Mac Geeks, it's time for your MacCast, the show for Mac Geeks by Mac Geeks. I'm Adamans, the show where we discuss all things Macintosh. How you doing? Welcome back to the MacCast. Glad to be sitting down here with you for another week of Mac and Apple news information, tips, tricks, goings-ons, and all the other things happening in our little Apple Mac community. How you doing? I hope you are doing very well today. Things are going okay for me. I'm feeling a little bit off, but I think we can get through it. I think we're going to be just fine. Uh, looking over the show notes, we've got a lot of little things to talk about this week. You know, we're kind of in that period of uh, Apple stuff where we're a little bit in between. I call it the in-between time. Summer, you know, you have Worldwide Developer Conference. There's a bunch of announcements and things coming, right? We get software and we know about the next version of uh, Mac OS, Mac OS Monterey, iOS 16, all of those different versions of the OSs. And we've kind of got a bunch of rumors about new machines. This year, we had the little bit different thing of getting a couple of new M2 systems, right, at Worldwide Developer Conference. So normally we don't have hardware at this point, but we're kind of in a holding pattern waiting for fall to get here and new machines to show up and those sorts of things. So as you might imagine, we have a lot of rumors to get into, a lot of things to talk about, uh, speculation about what's going to be next for Apple. We're going to get into all kinds of different products, including MacBooks and M2s and home devices and iPhones and AR VR headsets. And we'll have a little bit of Apple TV plus news, some sports stuff, and uh, even some home devices and AirPods and those sorts of things. So lots of things to talk about. But like I said, lots of little stories, not a lot of new information, just more details and, and specs and those sorts of things. So we'll get into all of that. And then uh, I want to talk about uh, some follow-up stuff. We're going to follow up on our little conversation about For All Mankind. Uh, there is an exciting new character who's back in the Apple family and Apple community. We'll talk about that a little bit. And then speaking of families, we'll talk about, you know, families as well and and what that might mean for future versions of mac os specifically one feature in particular that we had a community member asking about so i want to get into that conversation and that should round out this episode of the mac cast so should be a good one before we dive in though i do want to take a quick moment and thank a show sponsor and that is Collide. Collide sends employees important, timely, and relevant security recommendations for their Linux, Mac, and Windows devices right from inside Slack. Collide is perfect for organizations that care deeply about compliance and security, but don't want to get there by locking down devices to the point where they become unusable. Instead of frustrating your employees, Collide educates them about security and device management while directing them to fix important problems. And this is a really nice thing. Coming from a company, I work in a company where we have to have our devices locked down. And it's great when you can work with your IT team and learn about security, learn about device management, and learn about doing the things that you need to do to protect your systems and working with IT rather than being fully locked down and just sort of feeling like you can't do anything on your system. And Collide knows that end users are IT admins' most significant untapped resource and really are the key to solving the most challenging to fix security issues, including things like instructing developers to set 
passphrases on unencrypted SSH keys, finding plain text two-factor backup codes and teaching end users how to store those securely, and convincing employees to uninstall evil browser extensions that may sell their browser history. And those are just some of the use cases not solved simply by locking down devices. You can try Collide with all its features on an unlimited number of devices for free for 14 days, no credit card required. Just visit collide.com slash matcast and sign up today. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash matcast and enter your email when prompted to receive your free Collide gift bundle after trial activation. Try it out at collide.com slash matcast and a big thank you to Collide for their support of the show. There has been a lot of speculation as of late about what is going to be next for Apple's notebook lineup. We've been hearing from a number of different analysts, all with kind of different theories about what might be happening, and this week was no exception. In a tweet, Apple analyst Ming-Chi Kuo said that he believed that a new 15-inch MacBook model would go into production sometime in the first half of 2023. Now, interestingly, he says that there could be both M2 and M2 Pro processor versions of this new 15-inch notebook. And to me, that would seem to indicate that it is a 15-inch both for consumer and for pro Mac fans, which is interesting. We're going to have the same screen sizes just in two different models. And I guess we kind of have that now with the 13-inch MacBook Air and the 13-inch MacBook Pro. But he did also indicate that the new model might not be called a MacBook Air. So are we going to just go back to MacBook and MacBook Pro? He didn't really say in this, but yeah, I would imagine if we go to uh, same sizes, both non-pro and pro, maybe Apple would switch the switch the marketing and just drop the air. You may remember that display analyst Ross Young said in the past that Apple was planning a 15-inch MacBook Air, so that could be the way it goes. And that rumor was also repeated last week by Bloomberg's Mark Gurman. Mark Gurman also did say something else, though, and Ming-Chi Kuo kind of threw some cold water on that because that was that Apple was possibly working on releasing a 12-inch notebook into their lineup sometime near the end of 2023 or in 2024. And uh, Ming-Chi Kuo said he has no indication that that is something that Apple is working on. His supply chain checks don't show that, so that may or may not be happening. And again, all this pure speculation, like a lot of back and forth on analysts, and all three of these analysts in their own right have been accurate from time to time. So it's hard to know, you know, who to kind of believe and who to think is sort of on the money for these rumors. But definitely Apple working on, it sounds like, a number of different form factors and, and ideas for MacBooks moving forward. So we'll just have to wait and see what they come out with. I'd be curious to know, what are your theories? What kind of... Uh, macbook lineup mac pro lineup would you like to see coming in you know the first half of 2023 and and throughout 2023 let me know maccast at gmail.com speaking about all of these new machines though it's 
pretty good bet that most of them are going to have versions of Apple's new M2 processor. And there are um, some reports this week about M2 performance. And surprise, <laughs> it they basically line up with what Apple told us. And this is all coming about because the 13-inch uh, MacBook Pro M2 systems are out there. We're starting to see uh, benchmarks happening around those and also some leaked leaked benchmarks around the upcoming M2 MacBook Air. Apple said the new M2 processors would be about 18% faster than the M1, and that is proving to be true with these leaks. The new M2 clocked in at, uh, or clocks in rather, at 3.49 gigahertz compared with the 3.2 gigahertz for the M1. And early benchmarks started to show up on Geekbench this past week. Single core scores came in around 1919, or about 12% faster than the M1. And then multi core scores came in at 89.28, which is about 20% faster than the M1. So we're right in that range. 18% faster is probably spot on the money. So what Apple's been telling us is really accurate. And that may get you thinking, you know, uh, if you have an M1 system, you know, you're probably not going to notice a huge speed improvement bumping up to an M2. So if you've been feeling like, oh man, my, you know, my M1 MacBook Air just got obsoleted, you're probably okay for a little while longer, right? You can probably wait for an M3 before you do that upgrade. Obviously, if you want a 20% speed improvement, Apple has you covered, but uh, you know, probably don't feel like you need to uh, upgrade right away. So, you know, that's just the thing. M2 is a nice little bump up, um, but it's not a game changer. And I wouldn't expect any of the new M2 systems to really drive things a lot higher other than maybe, and we really don't know what Apple's going to do, if they're going to do an M1-like Beyond Ultra for the Mac Pro that should be coming out, or is it going to be an M2, you know, Extreme? I don't know what they're going to call the processor that we expect to come in the new updated Mac Pro, but that's really the last model Apple is needs to add to their lineup to get the full conversion over to Apple Silicon. So we are expecting to see that sometime soon. It'll be interesting to see if they go with the M1 or M2 branding. I'm going to guess they're going to land on M2 at this point. So we'll have some sort of extreme, extreme variation of the M2, uh, probably 4X, basically the M1 Ultra, and you'll have that processor. It's going to be crazy. But speaking about uh, ARM-based processors, an analyst at Strategy Analy Analytics rather estimates that Apple has at least a two to three year lead over other ARM-based PC processor vendors. In a recent report from them, they showed that because of the M series, Apple has about a 90% revenue share of ARM-based notebooks. So Apple has a big lead in this arena. A lot of their competitors, Qualcomm and others, are trying to follow along. But, you know, I would say Apple might even have, in my opinion, a bigger lead when it comes to the software side of things. Because Windows on ARM has not gotten a lot of really great buzz. And as we know, Mac OS is amazing on ARM processors, right? On Apple's M-series processors. So, you know, they have an even bigger lead over there. You've got software buy-in from developers. So it is going to be a long, slow roll for Apple's competitors to kind of catch up on the ARM-based PC side. And like I said, strategy analytics thinks it's at least two to three years.
Something else that happened this week with the new notebooks coming out, there was a teardown of Apple's new 35-watt dual USB-C compact power adapter. This was done by Charger Labs, and it revealed some interesting details. Uh, The internal design seems to make it easy to swap out the prongs, and this would be likely so that they could easily support the various international versions of the adapter. So that makes a lot of sense. They also noted that the front and back portions of the adapter are basically symmetrical, containing two identical power supply circuits. And that's because you've got the dual USB-C ports on there, so they're kind of going to be each the same thing, right? They need to be driven the same way. And the cool thing about this adapter is that it has some nice technology in there to kind of control the charging levels and the power levels depending upon the devices that you have plugged into it so 9 to 5 mac did a little bit of testing playing around with different charging combinations of devices and uh, we now know what you can expect to get out of the new adapter in terms of charging at different power levels so if you're charging a mac and then an iPhone or an iPad. So you have a Mac plugged in on one side, an iPhone or an iPad on the other. Each device is going to get 17.5 watts of that 35 watts, so kind of split right down the middle. That's going to be the same if you're charging an iPhone and an iPad together. But if you switch over and you're doing a Mac and iPhone and then an Apple Watch or set of AirPods or something on the other charger, what you'll see is the Mac and the iPhone get 27.5 watts and the Apple Watch or AirPods get 7.5 watts. So it's basically going to adapt for what you have plugged in. Of course, if you just connect one device to it, you're going to get the full 35 watts. And they did tear down the compact version. We we also know they kind of have a standard version that looks more like your traditional Apple charger, but with two ports on that. They didn't tear that one down, but I would imagine it's largely the same thing, just in a different sort of shape, right? So... We had all that stuff. As far as what's next for M2, Mark Gurman chimed in this week with his thoughts in his recent newsletter on all the potential new systems that we might see coming out. As you might imagine, they fall in line with what we might expect with a couple of little exceptions that I want to comment on. So he did say there's going to be a new version of the Mac Mini, but just like the earlier rumor we were talking about, he said there will be M2 and M2 Pro versions of that. So I don't know if that means we're getting a Pro Mini back again. That rumor's been floating around there for a long time. We didn't see that happen with M1, but it looks like that could happen if this rumor turns out to be true with the M2. He's also expecting updates to the 14-inch and 16-inch MacBook Pro models with M2 Pro and M2 Max chips. I think that's probably to be expected. And then, like I said, a new Mac Pro Tower. He says with M2 Ultra and M2 Extreme chips. So he's thinking it's the Extreme branding as well, at least in his rumor. I found it interesting that he had no mention of an M2 or M2 Pro version of the iMac, but I would expect that coming as well. So whether Apple does a new 24-inch or adds a 27 inch remains to be seen i think there's a lot of people out there who would really want apple to do a 5k 27 inch imac again with an m2 or m2 pro processor and that could even be the pro version of the imac and uh, that would really be nice to see but that wasn't part of uh, german's speculation at least at this time but there's all the kind of updates on you know m2 systems and new macbooks and all that fun stuff 
And while he was speculating about new Macs, German was also thinking about new home devices. He said that Apple will be updating their living room options with a new Apple TV and HomePod. For the updated Apple TV, he thinks it's going to be an Apple TV with an A14 chip and four gigabytes of RAM, which I think is one more than the current Apple TV uh, HD or 4K, rather. We're already on 4K, right? Uh, HD's the older one. And then uh, he said a new HomePod will be coming out based on the S8 chip, which is the same chip we expect to power the upcoming uh, Series 8 Apple Watch. Now, the details on the Apple TV at this point seem to be minimal. Don't talk about any kind of redesign or updates beyond just a new chip in there and uh, some updated memory. There have been references, though, found recently in iOS 16 betas that seem to indicate the possibility of a new Siri remote. So don't know what Apple would be tweaking there, but it does kind of hint at that, which would also, I think, in turn hint on the fact that Apple is due to update the Apple TV, which, in my opinion, it's a little bit overdue for that. We had heard rumors in the past that Apple might have a lower cost version of the Apple TV. They might bring the price point down, and I think that would be a good move on their part as well. What was more interesting in Mark German's comments to me were what he said about the HomePod. He said that the new HomePod will, quote, be closer to the original HomePod in terms of size and audio performance rather than a new updated HomePod mini. So the return of the HomePod, that would be awesome. We talked about it. I absolutely still love my HomePod. I think it is amazing. Something with more speakers, better sound, something that can better fill a room than a Mac mini or a HomePod mini. The HomePod minis are great. Don't get me wrong, but nothing can beat the original HomePod, except maybe a new HomePod in the same form factor. So I'd love to see Apple to come out with this. He also says that the updated HomePod would have a new display on top, possibly with multi, multi-touch functionality. So be interesting to see what Apple would do with that, if it would be more of a you know, OLED touch display rather than just sort of the swirly color Siri thing that Apple has right now. So would love to see a new HomePod. German has said in the past that Apple might do a hybrid HomePod, you know, hybrid with uh, Apple TV functionality and HomePod functionality as well as having a screen. Doesn't reiterate that that rumor here just simply a larger HomePod. And I would definitely look forward to that. It'd be great, too, if Apple had it at a little lower price point than the original HomePod. You know, maybe something in the 199 to 249 price range would be really good to see. So we'll just have to wait on that one and see uh, if Apple brings us a new HomePod. Half of the top smartphones sold globally are iPhones, at least for the month of April, according to the most recent reports from CounterPoint Research. In that list, the top 10 selling smartphones account for 21% of the total smartphone market. And within those 10 models, Apple has five of them. In fact, The top four spots for April were all iPhones. The iPhone 13 at 5.5%, the iPhone 13 Pro Max at 3.4%, the iPhone 13 Pro at 1.8%, and then the iPhone 12 
at 1.6%. And then a little bit further down the list was the iPhone SE, the 2020 version, or 2022 version, rather, excuse me. That model came in at number seven with a 1.4% share. Now, the SE making that list might be a little bit surprising, especially to those of us in the U.S. who have heard that that model is not selling very well. But the report notes that the SE is doing very well internationally and even saw triple-digit growth in month-over-month sales. Specifically in Japan, the SE captured 18% of their smartphone sales for the month of April iPhone 12 sales were also driven by increased sales in Japan and India, because I was a little bit surprised by that one making the list as well, right? An older model, but it's a good value and still a really great phone. So sales apparently still doing very, very well for the iPhone 12. And when it comes to the premium end of the smartphone market, the research from CounterPoint shows that Apple is absolutely crushing it. In the first quarter of 2022, for phones $400 Priced $400 or more, Apple's iPhone accounted for a 62% share of the market. That's up from 57% for the same quarter last year. And the numbers there are led by the iPhone 13, which the firm says has, quote, been the best-selling model globally each month since October 2021. So since that phone went on sale, basically, it has been the top smartphone model globally That is pretty incredible. Great phone and obviously very, very popular. So kudos kudos to Apple. iPhone just doing phenomenally in the global market. I think there's been a lot of hope in our little community that Apple may launch their AR VR headset this year. We'd heard earlier in the year a lot of speculation that that actually might happen. Some people even thought that Apple could have made an made an announcement of that product at Worldwide Developer Conference. Obviously, that didn't work out and more recently we've been hearing that the whole project has sort of been delayed for a number of reason reasons including supply chain and just how markets are going and and some technical issues that Apple has run into that we've discussed on this show. This week according to analyst Ming-Chi Kuo, Kuo thinks that uh, as Meta pulls back a little bit on its VR hardware to focus on their primary business, Apple could be primed to make a big impact with their AR VR headset. And he thinks that release could debut in January of next year. He described Apple's upcoming headset as, quote, the most complicated product Apple has ever designed and said the product, quote, will further boost the demand for immersive gaming and multimedia entertainment. So more and more signs seem to be pointing to Apple getting ready to release this product that we've been talking about quite a bit. As a matter of fact, this past week in an interview with China Daily, Tim Cook reiterated his excitement about AR technology. He spoke about how he feel how he feels we're just in the quote early in, in early innings of how the technology will evolve and he pointed to the already 14,000 AR kit apps that are currently in the app store but then he concluded the interview by saying stay tuned and you'll see what we have to offer so the question then becomes when will we see what they have to offer and all signs right now are pointing to first half early 2023 so will be exciting times 
Look forward to seeing that product. It is expected to be a very high price point product, so I don't know how many early adopters will be out there, um, but we're expecting it to be in like the $3,000 range, which is crazy uh, for a headset. So hopefully Apple can blow us away with the demos. Uh, it sounds like it's going to have a lot of great tech in there, and uh, Ming-Chi Kuo saying, hey, it's super complex, and uh, if anybody can pull off a great use case or user experience, I think it's going to be Apple. So I'm looking forward to seeing that product. I'm sure there's going to be a big splashy announcement, um, but probably not till 2023. Apple is still hoping for Sunday ticket. Apparently, Apple, along with Disney and Amazon, have submitted their bids to the NFL to try and get the NFL Sunday ticket games for Next year, not this season, but next, the following season, this is according to CNBC, who says that bids were submitted weeks ago. Uh, now, Apple is just waiting to see if they're going to be picked by the NFL to carry the Sunday out-of-market games on Apple TV+. DirecTV paid more than $1.5 billion for the current deal that's going to cover the upcoming 2022-2023 season. But for the 2023-2024 season, the next deal, the NFL is reportedly looking to get more than $2 billion for the package. Apple certainly has the uh, deep pockets to make that happen. The question will become, did they outbid Disney or Amazon? We, just like Apple, sounds like are going to have to wait to find out. But Apple definitely trying to step up their sports game on Apple TV+. Plus. We know they did the deal with MLB for the Friday night games. They just did that ML, uh, uh, Major League Soccer deal, the MLS deal that we talked about on, I think, the last episode of the MacCast. And now NFL, we've been talking about this for a long, long time. It may finally come to fruition I would think we could expect an, an announcement about this if Apple does get it within the next month or two, several months. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. But uh, more sports could be coming to Apple TV+. And then finally, in the news for this week, we've been waiting on and uh, hoping, or at least I've been hoping for because my AirPods Pro <laughs> broke for some new AirPods, AirPods Pro 2, we've been talking about the rumors for a while now. Now a source for reliable AirPods Pro leaks uh, has posted some image renders of what they're saying the upcoming AirPods Pro 2 designs are going to be. The images this this week came from 52 Audio. They previously posted what turned out to be accurate images of Apple's new AirPods 3 designs. And looking at these renders, uh, there's some interesting details to talk about. First, the case and the AirPods themselves appear to be largely unchanged. You may remember we've been having rumors that Apple could adopt a new stemless design for the AirPods Pro, bringing them more more in line with like the Beats Studio Buds. That doesn't look like it's going to happen, at least according to these renders. They look exactly the same. The charging case mostly looks the same, with a few exceptions. The case itself has speaker holes on the bottom, presumably to support a built-in Find My feature. That would be great <laughs> to be able to like ping your AirPods so that you can actually go find them. Uh, it's hard to tell, but there is debate on whether or not Apple will switch the AirPods to a USB-C connector. 
I'm going to guess that they're going to stick with Lightning at least as long as the iPhone has the Lightning connector. AirPods, in my mind, are really mostly an accessory for your iPhone. Or, yeah, for your iPhone. So I think they'll switch to USB-C at the same time. We've been hearing probably the next generation of the iPhone, the iPhone 15, could have a USB-C connector. And that timing seems to work out, at least in my mind. And then finally... There is a little side connector that looks like it would be for a strap or a loop of some sort. So you could connect sort of an accessory so you can, you know, hang that around your wrist or on your keychain or whatever you might want to do. Uh, hook up your, your AirPods to that. The leak is focused on the design, but there have also been some hints discovered in the AirPods beta firmware that Apple might add support for the new LC3 codec, codec rather, via Bluetooth 5.2 support. LC3 stands for Low Complexity Communication Codec and allows lower bitrate transmissions that of audio that can maintain a higher audio quality. So this brings an overall improvement to audio calls, making them more efficient, more stable, offering better battery life. Other features and predictions for the AirPods Pro 2, a new version of Apple's H1 chip that could support Apple's lossless audio format. So finally, lossless audio for your AirPods. Possible health features, including heart rate detection, maybe temperature sensors. So could take your temperature in the health app and maybe hearing aid capabilities. Uh, this leak says that there could be a mic on the charging case that could be used to pick up audio, transmit it back to the AirPods and enhance sound and playback. So when you're in a noisy environment, you can uh, hear better. So kind of serving as a quasi hearing aid. I don't know if it'd be technically a medical hearing aid, uh, but more you know, audio features like that. So I am definitely looking forward to updated AirPods Pro. I need some new ones and I've just been waiting for Apple to release these. So there was no word, unfortunately, on any release date, um, but they should be coming. And I would think fairly soon, probably again in the fall, along with the announcements of the new iPhones. But with that, that is going to do it for the news for this week. Before we move on, I do want to take a quick moment and thank another show sponsor, and that is Hunter Douglas. Who doesn't love to live well, to be perfectly at ease in comfort and in style? Hunter Douglas can help you do just that with their innovative window shade designs, gorgeous fabrics, and control systems so advanced they can be scheduled to automatically adjust to their optimal position throughout the day. Perhaps it's the way shades diffuse harsh sunlight to cast a beautiful glow across the room or being able to enjoy the view outside the window while protecting your privacy inside. Or maybe it's the superior insulation that shades provide, keeping you warmer in winter, cooler in summer, and lowering your, t your utility bills. Or it's simply that Goldilocks moment when you walk into a room and everything about it looks and feels just right. And when you tap into Hunter Douglas's PowerView technology, your shades can be set to automatically reposition for the perfect balance of light, privacy, and insulation, morning, noon, and night. And what's great about Hunter Douglas's PowerView technology is it's HomeKit compatible. That means you can easily integrate it with the Home app and your iOS devices, your Macs, your HomePods, your entire system. And then you can build automations to fully control 
everything within your house, including your Hunter Douglas window shades. And to me, that is incredibly cool. So live beautifully with Hunter Douglas, enjoying greater convenience, enhanced style, and increasing comfort in your home throughout the day. Visit HunterDouglas.com slash MacCast today for your free Style Gets Smarter design guide with fresh takes, creative ideas, and smart solutions for dressing your windows. Visit HunterDouglas.com slash MacCast for your free design guide, and a big thank you to Hunter Douglas for their support of the show. I just realized in this episode, we're going to be talking about nostalgic technologies, nostalgic Apple technologies. And the first thing that I have for you today is actually kind of a follow-up to something we were discussing on the last episode of the MacCast. You may remember last time I was talking about the Apple TV Plus series for All Mankind. They're in their new season, season three. And just another warning, spoiler alert, we're going to be talking about the show and some things that happen in the show. So if you haven't watched it, you don't want to get spoiler spoiled uh, you might want to skip this section. It's not a huge spoiler, but it is a spoiler. Um, and it deals with Apple technology. So you may remember we were talking about that. Uh, for those who don't know, For All Mankind is an alternative history of the space race uh, that basically is based on the premise of the Russians getting to the moon before uh, the U.S. And so they're in their third season. And in this season... They show off a Newton message pad 120 being used to make video calls. And what had happened last time is I thought that was super cool. I had a listener comment to me or tell me about it on Twitter and I had seen it already and sort of caught it. So I replied to that listener on Twitter, uh, noting that I found it interesting that the video calls were in full color Yet, when they hung up the call, the user interface went back to the standard grayscale version of Newton OS of the time. And I I found that a little bit odd. So I kind of replied to that. And then if you heard the last episode, what was really cool about it was I got a, a reply to that tweet from the visual effects supervisor on For All Mankind explaining why that was done and explaining that that was actually an intentional decision because the user interface shot is like literally a blip on the screen. I think it's probably tenths of a second. And he said it just wouldn't have been worth the cost to have to go redesign an entire color user interface for the Newton just for that brief teeny tiny moment. And I thought that was so cool. But then another thing happened this week because I saw a post about the Newtons in For All Mankind, and this was about a tweet that was done by the series producer. Brian McGinnis said that um, they were playing around with these, you know, Newtons that they had set up for these props, and they thought they were really, really cool, but then also pointed out that the prop masters, the, the prop the props department designed the casing in a way that it could fit an iPhone 12 Pro Max so they could put that into the Newton. And the reason for that was that's how they got the point of view shots. So when you were seeing, you know, the person talking on the other end of the video call, that point of view shot was actually shot on an iPhone 12 Pro Max. So that is really cool. Uh, and just another little tidbit on uh, For All Mankind and sort of the use of Apple technologies in that show. So they're kind of doing 
this mix of the old historical technology and then combining it with new technology to actually produce and shoot and, and make the show work. So I thought that was a really cool little story this week. I, I like little things about that, about Apple. But it also got me thinking about older technologies and kind of some of the cool technologies that Apple has had over the years. And I know we've talked about this a little bit, but I'd love to hear from you. Like, what are some cool old technologies that you remember Apple developing that you were really jazzed about? I loved my Newton, even though the Newton was never really a big hit for Apple. I thought it was some amazing technology. I still have an Emate 300 that uh, somebody gave me recently. I need to get batteries restored on it but it works it's really really cool so i thought newtons were great technology i had a message pad 110 that i absolutely loved i regret ever selling it uh, i actually sold it uh, and i wish i had it back uh, but yeah apple's had some great old technologies i'd also be curious to know about uh Apple technology that you've caught in films, like old technology in maybe modern films or reused or repurposed technology, that happens a lot too. And those are all really cool things to see. So if you have any of those little stories, antidotes, uh, shoot me an email, send me an audio comment, maccast at gmail.com. So speaking of some old or older Apple, I guess technology or user interface elements. I don't know how we want to call this one. Um, but there is a character that existed on the Mac for years and years, actually has a bunch of mythology around it and went away for a while and now is back. So if I say Claris or dog cow or Moof, the classic folks of you out there know exactly what I'm referring to while others of you may be a little bit confused. So let me explain. The dog cow, also known as Claris the dog cow, is an icon designed by Susan Kerr, who was a graphic designer on the original Macintosh team, who was responsible for most or many of the icons and user interface elements that the Mac is very well known for now. And the dog cow was actually part of an original Mac dingbat font called Cairo. And dingbat fonts um, were fonts that instead of typing out characters as you typed them, actually typed out symbols or icons. And Claris the dog cow was the icon for the letter Z in the Cairo font. And the reason she is called a dog cow is because if you look at the design of the original icon, it's a dog that also possibly could be a cow. It was never really clear. And so the Apple team and the marketing team had a lot of fun with this little icon and sort of created this whole mythology. There was even like a tech article specifically about the dog cow that was posted on Apple's website. So really cool little character. And you don't often see the dog cow, but in versions of Mac OS up through the 90s, the most common place you'd see Claris the dog cow was on the page setup dialog. It was on the little icon used to show page orientation. So if you've ever seen that on an older version of Mac OS, Mac OS 9 and earlier, you know the dog cow. Now, you when Steve Jobs came back to Apple and with the introduction of Mac OS 10, Claris was removed from the page setup and so you saw less and less of the dog cow in 
Mac OS and less in Apple's marketing and, and things like that. And so why am I bringing this up now? Why are we having a conversation about Claris the dog cow? It's because Mac OS Monterey apparently Claris is back. The dog cow is back. She's had some cosmetic work done, uh, however, to kind of smooth out her jaggies. And I'm kind of conflicted about how I feel about that. But hey, being back is great. And back right where she where she belongs in the page setup. So if you hit Command Shift P in most app, apps that use the built-in printing system, because some actually have custom printing system. I know Microsoft uses custom dialogues and I think Adobe does as well, unfortunately. But in any of the Mac apps, you know, so pages, numbers, keynote, you can go into the page setup now and Claris is there looking brand new and refreshed. I'd be curious to know what you think about it. Should have Apple stuck with the old, you know, pixel bitmap version of Claris or do you like this new smoothed out version of Claris? I like the more classic version, but yeah, I'm old school like that. That's just my opinion. But uh, if you've been playing around with the uh, Mac OS Monterey beta, you've probably seen Claris. I haven't seen her firsthand yet, but I am definitely looking forward to it. So I'd be curious to know what you think about it. Let me know, maccast at gmail.com. And then finally for today, let's have a conversation about how big is a family? You may have caught that at Worldwide Developer Conference, Apple announced that they're finally going to have an iCloud photo library that can be shared by the members of an iCloud family account. So finally, we have a way to share you know, our photos in our photo library with other members of our family. It's going to be a separate library from your main iCloud photo library. And um, everybody will be able to participate and share photos from this album. They're even going to have this really cool feature where straight from the camera app, you can have those photos go to that library rather than your main library. Um, And any change and all changes made by any family member to that album are going to be synced over to all the other members of that family. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, that's something that I worry about a little bit, little bit. But here's the thing. According to Apple, a family is apparently defined as six people. And the reason I say this is that from their PR, quote, iCloud shared photo library gives families a new way to share photos seamlessly with a separate iCloud library that up to six users can collaborate on, contribute to, and enjoy. So six people. And what prompted this conversation is that Michael wrote to me this week and asked, quote, should Apple consider expanding their family plan options so you can have more than six people on the plan? And the reason he brings this up, as he points out, is especially with photo sharing or this new photo sharing feature, you might want to have more than five other people in your extended family that you want to share a photo library with. So you could include your parents, your children, your spouse, siblings, and all of their families and extended families. And Michael, in his examples, as for his own family, he has about 12 people that he'd want to have in his shared photo library. And he says, I'd even be willing to pay more for my family sharing account and pay for more for storage so that I can have the privilege 
of sharing with that many people. And I definitely can see his point on this. You know, right now, if I were guessing, I'm thinking the limit is simply historical. Apple's family share plans have been set up since the beginning to support family members, quote unquote, under the same roof in Apple's opinion. And it's always been six people, at least as far back as I can remember. And I guess six people in a single household might be some sort of statistical majority. I'm sure Apple maybe did some of the math and found out that most households have up to six or less people. And that kind of struck the balance, especially when it came to another feature of the Apple share plans, which is app sharing, right? And app licensing. So that was something if you're an app developer, you have to buy into that on a family share plan, you sell one copy of your software and maybe up to six people within a family could use it. So Apple may not want to expand beyond six people for that reason. But now that iCloud families have all these other features and and things that they're sharing, you know, um, shared Apple Music accounts and all those sorts of things, then, you know, it gets a little bit tricky. How big is a family? And I thought this was a really really great question. And another thing that I'd worry about with a larger group of family members and sharing a photo library is, to me, it's more possibilities for things to potentially go wrong, right? Like what happens if there's a fight within the family and somebody just gets mad and decides, hey, I'm going to delete everybody's photos. Um, If I add photos to the shared library and then grandma or my sister-in-law makes edits to them, Uh, that I don't like or tweaks them in some way. What are my options? Like, are my photos mine? Do I have a way to protect them? I have a lot of questions about this feature. You know, are there, are you going to run into these kinds of problems? Now, you all know, in my case, I'm always going to have backups of my originals because, you know, I'm a backup fanatic and I'm going to make sure that I have original copies somewhere. But you get my point. Not everybody is necessarily going to do that. They're probably going to participate in this shared library. I would hope, but I don't know, that Apple would add some sort of versioning or version history a la Time Machine to an iCloud shared photo library, but they didn't announce that feature and I haven't heard anything related to that. So yeah, I have a lot of questions about this. And you know, if you're adding that many people to a shared library where everybody can edit and change and, and manipulate and do things on that, it might get a little bit tricky to figure out who did what to a photo and how do you maintain your personal photo library along with that. Because it's my understanding you either put your photos into one library or the other. I I don't think there's a way to have them duplicated or synced across or anything like that. So it's sort of like once you move it over, you move it over. Um, Maybe there'll be an option where you don't have to do that. And if you know otherwise, if I've gotten that wrong, let me know, mattcast at gmail.com. But Michael, I thought this was a really interesting question. I wanted to throw it out to you in the community and say, hey, how big is a family? How big should a family be? What are the challenges here? What do you think about all this? What do you think about Michael's question? Like, should Apple expand family plans to more than six people at this point? Shoot me an email. Send me an audio comment with your opinion, mattcast at gmail.com. And I look forward to receiving those and sharing your thoughts on future episodes of the MacCast. But with that, that is going to do it for the episode for this week. Bandwidth for the MacCast is provided by Cashfly. You can find them at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. And all advertising in the MacCast is handled by Backbeat Media. 
They are at BackbeatMedia.com. As always, I love hearing from you. If you have a comment, a question, something you'd like to hear covered on a future episode of the MacCast, you can send your emails and audio comments to maccast at gmail.com. You're also welcome to call in on the listener hotline and leave a voicemail. That phone number, 281-622-4269, 281-MAC-IM-9. If you need show notes, links to anything that I talked about on this or any other episode of the MacCast, you can find those on the website. That's at maccast.com. And finally, if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash MacCast. You can check out the MacCast Facebook page over at facebook.com slash the MacCast or find me on Instagram, just MacCast on Instagram. But that is going to do it for now. Until next time, I will talk to you all again real soon. Mm-hmm.